We are going to be anchored in Romans chapter 3 this morning. This is a fairly simple sermon with a very simple purpose. My ache today is for each of us to see God greater than we do right now. To use a Christian term, to magnify the Lord. Not to make him bigger than he is, because we can't. But to help us to see him more in keeping with reality. That we might see more clearly God's glory and clear out the brush of this life that obstructs our view. So far this year, when I've had the opportunity to preach, we've looked at anchor points, places where in God's word we can anchor. We can hold fast when life beats and batters us. It's a harbor we can steer to for solace, a place to salve our hearts and minds. But not merely when when the days are bad. When the days are good and our hearts are full and we are rejoicing and things are great, to know that this is the God who has done this for us. This is the God who has lavished these things on us and to be able to turn and give him the praise that he is due. We start out looking in Romans 8, verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We turned later to Galatians 6, verse 9 in May, that we would not grow weary in well-doing, for we will reap in due season if we do not give up. Then we looked in June in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, knowing that no temptation has come upon us, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful. He will provide a means of escape that we may bear up under it. These are truths from God's word for us. Today, we're going to bask in what God has done. We are going to simply bask in what God has done to redeem us. We're going to look and kind of pick apart Romans chapter 3, verse 26. That it was to show God's righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in God. How significant is it that God is just? What does it mean for us today that he is the justifier? How is that a place even for us to anchor our souls? And so to that, we turn today. Let's bow our hearts in prayer that God may watch over and guard us. Even now, Lord God, I beg that you would watch over my lips and my tongue, that you would be honored and glorified, that your word would be exalted, that you would receive the worth that you are due in the preaching and the teaching. I beg for myself and my brothers and sisters here that we not be distracted, but that we hear your voice in the truth of your word. God, have your way with us. Do in us as you see fit by the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of your word that we might shine like lights in a dark day as we go out into the world. Be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we see implied in all of this is that there is a desperate need for justice. There's a desperate need for justice. The the very word that God is just is within the word justice, both in the English and the Greek. But what does it mean that one is just? One who is just observes the law. One who is just 
does that which is right. One who is just is also sure to punish and deal with wrongdoing. In that, it implies that there is a wrongness that is out there. And there's a wrongness even that is in here. I don't have to look outside these doors. I don't even have to look into your eyes to see the brokenness in this world. I need only look in the mirror. I see, I see my physical brokenness. You know, my hearing is going. I've got to wear glasses now. My back causes me issues. I see other innocents suffering. We've got migraines and kidney stones and, and seizures. And some of us know those with cancer. And we know young children who pass away and other people in the hearty hail of life who pass away. And, you know, it's broken. I can see this physical brokenness, but I can see also worse, a spiritual brokenness. The physical brokenness is not going to keep, keep us out of the kingdom of God, but our spiritual brokenness will. I see murder. There's rape. There's racial hatred. There's stealing. There's slander. There's fear in my own heart. I see it manifest spiritually within the own, my own battles, but we see it physically around us. What is wrong? What is wrong? And we know what's wrong. It is sin has infected the world. Sin has infected my life. It is made plain to us in the word, but we do see it plainly in the comings, of going, comings and goings of life. When I look inside though, Oftentimes, my heart is going to deceive me and say, you're not that bad. No, you're far worse than you could ever imagine. It is the stuff of 2 Timothy 3 and 4 in the last days. He describes how bad it is going to get. And yes, I see that playing out in the world, but I see that playing out in my own life. The world speaks of progress. We're so much better off than we are right now. Okay, technologically, that's great. Medicine, that's great. But as we look out into the world, we see an incredible depth of cultural depravity. Humanity, just it's like we're trying to find new and debauched ways to offend the living God, to defy his word. When Adam and Eve committed the ultimate treason in Genesis chapter 3 by taking of the fruit, Sin entered the cosmos and death through sin. That's what Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 12. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. One act, and now we are all suffering for it. And so if God is just, if God is just, this sin will be dealt with. This sin will be punished. And it's... Really, it's the stuff of great stories. We thrill at the end of Jaws when the shark goes boom. At the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark when the Nazis melt. At the end of The Wizard of Oz when the Wicked Witch of the, Witch, Wicked Witch of the West melts. The implosion of Sauron in The Return of the King. We rejoice to see justice meted out. We, are, we rejoice when we see evil get its due. 
It's the stuff of great movies and great literature because it is the stuff of reality. We long for and ache for justice because we were created in God's image. It's knit within our soul. God is the Holy One of Israel. We just sang it. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Holy, holy, holy. It's what goes on in the throne room of heaven in the Revelation. Because God is holy, all that he does, has done, and will do is moral, it's proper, it's right, it's good, it's whole, it's unstained, it's untarnished, it's untainted. Psalm 145, verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Thus, if there is disorder and unrightness in the cosmos, it must be set right if God is who he says he is. Villainy must be dealt with. Villainy must be punished. If they're not, then God is unjust. But we know that he is. But in this world, we go, I don't see these things being made right. So if, if that's true, then one of, the, one of three things has to be going down. One, God doesn't care. Well, that can't be it. Or two, he may be impotent to bring about justice. He can't. Well, that would imply he's not omnipotent, and that can't be right either. The only other alter alternative is that he's got a plan. He's got a plan and a purpose to set things right, that is not on our timetable. And, and for us here, that's probably one of the most frustrating aspects about walking with the Lord, is we want to see justice right now. We wanna see evil paid for right now. God reveals to us in his word, through what he has done, that he is not indifferent to man's defiance. He's not indifferent to our defiance of his commands or of his designed order. When he defied in the garden, he didn't just shrug it off. He called Adam and Eve to account. When Cain slayed Abel, he didn't turn a blind eye. In the days of Noah, when all of humanity delighted in their depravity, he didn't wring his hands wondering, oh my, what has become of this world. He did not ignore the cruelty against his people in Egypt. And you can go on throughout scripture to see God's good purpose and action. Even David, a man after God's own heart, didn't get a pass when he lay with his general's wife and then had him killed. God certainly cares. So how then does God show himself just by dealing with the oceans of sin that are in the world? And we see in his word that he is perfectly just in dealing with man's sin. The just consequence of sin in Genesis chapter 2 verse 17 is death. To commit treason, to commit sin against a good and righteous and holy God warrants death. It is what we have earned, Paul writes in Romans 3, 
23, we have earned our death. It is appointed now for man once to die and then to face judgment. Hebrews 9, verse 27. But this death is not merely a physical dying. It is a separation. First of all, we see the separation in our relationship on this earth with the living God. We saw it manifest between Adam and Eve when God is calling out for Adam and Eve, where are you? And they are now in hiding. James 4.4 describes it that we are now enemies of God. Enemies of God. And physical death will certainly come. But not only is it separation in our relationship with the living God, it's separation in our relationships with one another. Conflicts between husband and wife, conflicts between man and man as Cain slays Abel, Conflict between man and the world as he now has to work by the sweat of his brow to bring forth the fruit of his labor. And conflict with man and himself. Who am I? What am I? The separation from God is going to be eternal in the life to come. Because the punishment that comes for those who die apart from Christ is a lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 15 states that if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus states the same thing in Matthew 25, 41 to 46. He says, he will say to me on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The lake of fire, yes, there is, there is physical punishment in the spiritual realm. But not only is that punishment a real thing, they will be separated from God. And you go, how can the presence of God be not in a place if he is omnipresent? But 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 talks about that horrible time that God will be inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Justice will be meted out. But God is not cold. He's not unfeeling. He's not indifferent. He loves his creatures that he made to have fellowship with him. James 4 verse 5 says he yearns jealously for us that we would have relationship with him. Creatures to whom he could reveal his glory. What God says of Israel in Jeremiah 31 verse 3 is true of his people today. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. There, therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. So how can God be just upholding his holiness and righteousness, punishing wickedness, evil and rebellion as he promised, while at the same time not destroying his beloved children, his beloved bride? And we know that we can't solve the problem. Our air conditioning just died 
two, three weeks ago, four weeks ago now. And I didn't just sit around hoping that my AC unit would fix itself. That isn't gonna happen. When your computer dies, it didn't go fix itself. I need somebody else to fix the thing. It's one of the greatest, greatest arguments against evolution. Sin so permeates our being, even my attempts at righteousness are seen as filthy rags, Isaiah says in chapter 64, verse 6. But we can't imagine the fullness and the extent of sin. Some would say that there have been 50 to 100 billion people throughout history on the planet. 50 to 100 billion people. So take the totality of your sin and multiply it by 50 to 100 billion people. Okay, that is the totality of sin. The problem is, though, is I am not even remotely aware of all of my sin. And that's evident as we look in, in the stories of Scripture and we wince at God's action toward others because we don't get how holy he is or how bad sin is. When Ananias and Sapphira are struck down for keeping back part of the sale of their house, we go, well, that was a little extreme. In the conquest of the promised land, women and children were destroyed as well. And we go, how is that fair? How is that just? When Moses couldn't enter the promised land simply because he struck the rock, we go, wow, God seems a little bit harsh. But all of that points to the fact that we don't understand how bad sin is. And I surely don't understand fully the holiness and righteousness of God. So, so what could possibly cover such an ocean of sin? You know, if you think of the vastness of the earth's oceans as our sin, they cover 71% of the earth's surface. The Mariana Trench is 7,000 feet deeper than Mount Everest is high. In the ocean, there are 352 gallons of water. No, 352 with 18 zeros behind it, gallons of water in the oceans. That is your sin. That is a debt of sin. How will that debt of sin be paid? And we know that it was paid in Jesus Christ. Let's read again from Romans chapter 3, 21 to 25. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. God, in the next verse, is just. He is going to pay that penalty. There is going to be payment 
But instead of the payment being in you, on you, or on me, it was on Christ. Christ paid it all. Redemption, a buyback. Redeemed. The prophet Hosea, you have that picture of the prostitute that Hosea buys out of her sin. And she goes back and he buys her out a second time. This is God. God has made the payment. Jesus Christ is put forward as, as a propitiation, a satisfaction of wrath. The wrath has been appeased. We know these verses and we've heard them as children. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is absolutely true. But what happened? How did that all come about? It doesn't say. It says he gave his son, but what does that mean? Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Jesus Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So somehow God did this thing by canceling the record of debt, canceled, that stood against us with its legal demands. It was there. It was right. It was true. You were guilty. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross was nailed to the cross in his son. It was nailed to the cross in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that for our sake, God the Father made him, God the Son, to be sin. Jesus Christ on the cross was our sin. Him who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Probably the most vivid place it is spelled out is in Isaiah 53. The awesome passage of prophecy that talks about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Verses 5 through 6. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. How is it that the sacrifice of one man can blot out the ocean of sin of billions of people? Okay, we go, the oceans are full and the oceans are deep. But the blood of Jesus Christ fills the cosmos. The magnitude of human sin looks enormous, but the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is more enormous still. So great and glorious is the blood of Jesus, so efficacious in paying our penalty that applying his blood to the ocean of sin does not reduce the possibility of his covering a million billion oceans of sin. This is why Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. It is done. It is completed. God has proven himself totally just in dealing with sin as it poured out on the wrath. 
of the Lamb. Romans 3.25 said that God in his divine patience had not unleashed the penalty in time past. He unleashed it right there. And in time future, he didn't have to unleash it again because it was all paid for right there in that point in space. His wrath is spent, emptied on his son. God is completely just. Well, what's it mean that he is the justifier? God's justice has brought my justification. God's justice has in turn made me right before him. Verse 24 of chapter three, all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He has justified us. That, that's what it means. Justify means being made right before God. Now, we might go, well, there's some other ideas of being justified. You were justified in punching that guy in the nose because he kept, so you had a good reason. That's what justified could mean. Uh, it could mean that your actions prove your declaration. We see that in James chapter two, that your actions, your works prove your faith. Your, your faith is justified by your works. Doesn't mean made right with God. It just proves, proves your faith. But here it means you are declared not guilty. Not only not guilty, absolutely, utterly right by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we read at the start of worship in Romans chapter five. We are now on a good standing. We have peace with God. What an extraordinary thing. We are saved from his wrath by the finished work of Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation. And it's not just being saved to be saved. There's an end to this. There's a purpose to this. That we might have fellowship with God. Titus 3 verses 5 through 7 Paul writes, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Heirs. You're not merely made right before God. You are an heir. You are his child. Everything that is his is yours. Think of the prodigal son. And the party that was thrown. And the party that will be thrown in glory because of the lavish grace of the father fully restored, and more. We aren't just servants. We are his children. This is our God. This is our God. Four things that I'd like to just call our mind to in, in closing. He is just and justifier. God is right and righteous in all his ways. We're going to go through this world and we're going to wonder 
about the things we face, but we must cling to the truth that God is righteous in all his ways. The second thing, because of that, he will balance the scales. Now we know that the scales of sin have been paid for in Jesus Christ. That has balance. But for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, they are going to suffer for this. All of the wickedness and evil in this world is going to be dealt with. God is going to balance the scales. We need to hold fast to the fact that he is just and justifier. Third thing, that he has dealt with your sin. He has dealt with your sin. Your sin is dealt with. You're going to struggle. You're going to go, ah, I did it again. You're forgiven. Confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not the eternal justification. That has been taken care of. That's the Romans 8.1. I can still go to my father and he can still clean me up. Like Jesus, the night he was betrayed where he's washing his feet. And Peter's going, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And you go, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And Peter's like, oh, well, my whole body. And Jesus is going, okay, go over the top, Peter. You know, I don't need, you're already clean. And so we have been made clean. God has dealt with our sin. God has dealt with your sin in the past. God has dealt with the sin you're dealing with right now. God has dealt with the sins you're going to commit that you don't even know you're going to commit yet. But he did this for that you might be his child. That you would be his child. You are an heir to the king of kings. As a child, of the king, he expects you to act like it. You know, he has lavished such grace on us. He calls us to turn and lavish that grace on one another. But not only does he call us to lavish grace on one another, he calls us to go out amongst the laws and go, come and meet my father and the son. If really this is true, why do I not go running through the streets? Come and meet my father. These truths should fill our souls with delight and awe. These truths should overflow into praises of the living God and exaltations to him. They should overflow with lavish, grace-drenching love for one another both saved and unsaved. As we consider the darkness in the world around us, as we struggle against the sin that so easily entangles us, let us, brothers and sisters, hold fast to this anchor point, to this truth that God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, oh God, Help us to see, oh God, help us to be awed by you. 
please, as we go from this world, let not scales fill our eyes, but more and more day by day, let your glory fill our minds and our lives that we would live and act like your children. God, we thank you for the good work you are doing and continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen.